not this Sunday, but the Sunday after, we should be starting our regular brand new gospel presentation. And it's going to be completely different to any other gospel presentation that you've ever heard. And yes, we do address in this gospel presentation the text where it says, if you hear any other gospel than this one, um, then let that person be accursed. Uh, because this isn't actually a different gospel to that, and you should look at that text and you might uh, just be able to see why on your own. I want to be someone that's always pulling back and trying to understand everything that's going on. I don't want to get caught up in what my parents taught me or what my ancestors believed or what the predominant religions believe. Uh, I, I want to be able to examine the evidence. I want to be able to look at every single last thing and try to put the dots together and to try to make sense of what is going on here. Why is it that when we look at the different religions around the world, we see a striking similarity between them? And we're talking about religions that have come out or mythologies that have come out of vastly different places all around the world and vastly different time periods as well. And yet, so many of them share a common theme where there is a father and two sons uh, and these two sons have a split role in running earth and we see change of leadership and we see the nature and character, the attributes of these individuals, these two sons specifically. And we can see that across all of these different mythologies slash religions around the world, we're dealing with the same family. And the, the father is always the ruler, the king. And the king has two sons, two princes. And although he may have uh, even more children than that, it's these two sons that feature predominantly. And when we look at some of the stories that are told about these people and their extended families, because we do have other information also about their siblings and other extended family members. But when we start to investigate uh, the, the things that we know about each one of these mythologies slash religions, we see there's a lot of other characteristics that also line up. The fact that they came from somewhere to here. The fact that they created humanity to work for them here. Uh, the fact that they live somewhere else. The fact that they have highly sophisticated electronic technology that enables them to travel vast distances in what we today would call a UFO. You can't start to look at all of that evidence all around the world and then just say, Oh, it's nothing. 
just believe in Jesus and you'll be fine. Well, I mean, if you want to do that, I, I think that's quite okay, actually. <laughs> Maybe that was a, a bad example, because I do think it's actually quite okay to, to say, you know, I'm just going to believe in Jesus, and, you know, do I really need to know anything else? No, actually, you don't. You just need to put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus. And you say, wait, wait, you're talking about all these other mythologies and religions, but now you're talking about Jesus. How does he connect to, the, to all this? Jesus is one of those sons of the king. It's interesting that the Mormons got a few things right. The Mormons say that heaven, the abode of God and his family, um, is on another planet. They got that right. Now, I'm not a Mormon, not by any stretch. It's very much a, a, a very strange, peculiar cult. Um, that really brainwashes people. It's not something good at all. But you can't, you know, not give them credit where credit is due. They, they did, they do get that part right. But one other thing they also get right is that they say that Satan, the adversary, is the brother of Jesus. Huh? Isn't that interesting? Well, that's actually what we find when we look at, across all of these different mythologies around the world and we start to see what's going on here. One of them created humanity, Jesus, and one of them took over power and control of the earth from Jesus and then started to mistreat the humans. And <clears throat> we start to see that the whole thing is this I guess, in a way, a familial pissing match between two brothers, one who created us and loves us dearly, and his brother, half-brother, actually, um, that doesn't care about us whatsoever and just sees us as pawns, uh, useless eaters. Um, and when we look at some of the things that he says in the ancient texts about us that's not very flattering at all. And of course, you can see how he treats us by reading the Bible, because he is right there. He is Yahweh. And you see that you've got this group of people that ended up in Hebrew, uh, in Egypt, the Hebrews, that were incredibly prosperous. And then Yahweh comes along and says, I'm going to take you out of here, and, and then really not good things started happening. March them around in a desert without any real food or water for 40 years to try to kill them off. Executes, murders their leader, Moses, and the very man, also a murderer, interestingly enough, um, that he chose to take them out of Egypt to be his representative. Um, and it's peculiar if you haven't heard any of this before, but we're dealing with two half-brothers and a father, and that's where the confusion has come from, that Yahweh must be the father. Most people in Christendom think that Yahweh is the father. Some actually, like the Mormons, they get this very wrong, they say that Yahweh is actually the Son. Well, no, that's not correct at all. The Son would never treat us the way Yahweh 
treated the people that we can read the accounts of in the text. Not in any way, shape, nor form, nor would his father, whom loved us so much that he sent his son to free us from Yahweh's law. But it behooves us to look outside of just the Bible. I talked about this just the other day, about what the Bible is, and we're going to do a presentation on that soon. There's no reason that we should not be looking outside of the Bible for archaeological evidence, evidence in the way of uh, information that was written down, uh, often in stone or clay, that has survived thousands and thousands of years, that all predate anything from, well, not all of them, but a lot of them predate anything that's in the Bible. We want to be open-minded enough to look at that material and go, is there something valuable there? Can we learn something from that? Sometimes uh, the Christian will will say, um, well, why do you read the Bible if you don't think it's the Word of God? Well, I, I would read the Encyclopedia Britannica, and I don't think that's the Word of God. So, you know, I, I read a recipe book. I don't think that's the Word of God neither. And then you can go on and on and on with, you know, unlimited examples. It doesn't have to be this mysterious special book from God for it to be valuable, to contain important information that we should know. So, of course, we read the Bible. We just don't turn it into something it is not. We don't turn it into Jesus, which is the habit of Christianity, by, by applying his name and title to it. So as we look at all this ancient evidence, and we look at these structures, and we look at these pyramids that are all over the world, and now you know the Daily Mail is just reporting that scientists using LIDAR, which is basically you're flying a drone or a plane over a forest canopy with laser beams, and it creates a big uh, 3D mesh uh, of the forest, including the forest floor. And then because it's all 3D and, and they have a sense of dimensionality to it all, you can just lift off the forest, take the trees away, and just look at the ground. And that way you find things, and we keep doing this, and we keep finding things all over the world. A few years ago, we found all of these <clears throat> um, very, very ancient... Uh, dwellings uh, that are all up and down the southern coast of Africa, like from west to east. Uh, you know, these were spotted just a few years ago by a pilot who informed uh, an amateur archaeologist uh, that he had met and said, hey, you, I want to take you up and show you what I, what I can see from the air in my plane. And, you know, that led to this discovery that uh, these rock formations are, create this massive network all along the coast of the southern tip of Africa. Amazing. It's amazing because those dwellings, that region being occupied and mined for gold, is expressly talked about in these ancient texts. That's why we can't ignore them, because they're telling truth. They may not be the whole truth, but they are giving us important information that thousands of years later, 
is being verified on the ground in real life. Now, what's interesting is that scientists say that humanity came out of Africa, and that's still very much the consensus view. Not that consensus means a whole lot, but that is the consensus view, that everybody came from a, a single ancestor in Africa. Well, you see, there's a different story that we can work out from all of the evidence, and that is that the very first people were created in Africa. And the time of when that happened uh, is a little iffy. We've got a couple of different numbers. I've been saying 132,000 years for some time. There are some other dates that are in some ancient texts that might actually place it a little uh, later than, a little earlier rather than that. But certainly a long time ago, right? So there goes our you know, young earth creationist view. You know, the earth is most certainly not 6,000 years old. And we see in these ancient texts talking about these people, this family, this kingdom, this monarchy, that came to this planet to mine it for natural resources. And they were doing the work with themselves, for themselves, for a long time. And then there were some skirmishes that started to break out and they decided, you know, we need to do something about this. And Jesus put his hand up back then, at least in the Sumerian tongue, which we, we tend to use a lot. It, it doesn't mean it's their language, but we use it a lot. Um, and in that language, his name is Ea, E-A. And later he had the title Enki, which is what most people call him, which is really a, a misnomer. His name is not Enki. His name is Ea. In that language, of course, we don't know that that is their language, although it's possible it, it is. But it seems that they also may be a, a little bit uh, beyond language, the, the necessity for language. So, <clears throat> so in this bigger story, this bigger context that is derived from evidence, we see that Jesus puts his hands, hand up and says, you know what, well, he, this guy is a master engineer, a master of DNA and of creating life. And much of the species that we see, some of them would predate Jesus, but a lot of them would actually be his individual handiwork. And he put up his hand and said, well, you know, we could create a, an, another person. Um, and we, we translate the term they use most often as primitive worker. And we would be you know, shorter than they are. We wouldn't have the intellect that they do, but in many other respects, we would be very much like them. And that's what we find in Genesis 1, 26, where they're meeting together. And it says, then the Elohim, the gods, this family, this royal family, said, let us create man in our image, in our likeness. And so we are very much their DNA. And so when Jesus says, you know, the kingdom of God is within you, well, yeah, we are of the kingdom we are of them and we have come out of them and we will now be grafted back into them maybe in the near future. And so what happens here as we begin to explore this big story is we start to see that Jesus, Yeshua, is constantly lifted up and magnified. In fact, to a larger degree than in Christianity, believe it or not, to a larger degree than Christianity. In fact, we see more details about the flood story in these ancient texts. And in there, we see that it was Yahweh who 
before the council, while they were talking about a calamity, they knew that, look, uh, something's going to happen here. There's there's going to be uh, some serious calamity here on the Earth. It was probably that their planet was crossing back through our solar system, which it appears to do every 3,600 years. And they were saying, look, um, you know, this past, because it's different every time it comes through, it's never the same because it depends on where all the other planets are and how close it comes to Earth, etc. This time it's going to cause a real catastrophe and we're going to see massive tsunamis sweeping over the Earth. It's really going to be a mess for quite some time. Um, you know, are we going to rescue all of these humans? Why don't we just say we are done? This is Yahweh talking. Why don't we just say we are done and let the humans perish in this natural catastrophe and that'll be it. And of course, we see a slightly different story in the Bible where God is saying he was angry with people. Well, he doesn't like, Yahweh doesn't like us at all. And he's always angry, as we see all the time. He even says of him, of his own self all the time that he's angry. He's always freaking angry. Um, but what extra information we get from these ancient texts that are older than anything we have in the Bible is more details on this flood story, this Noah's Ark story. You knew, obviously, I was talking about Noah's Ark, right? And so in the Bible story, it's Yahweh coming and telling someone to build a boat, but actually in the older stories, it's Jesus, who before the council was, was fingered and pointed out and said, you, Jesus, Ia, you are not to tell the humans there is a catastrophe coming. Why? Why did they, why was Yahweh so pointed about this? Because he, he knows his brother and he knows his brother's love for us. He's the one that made us this incredible master engineer. And Yahweh doesn't have the creative capabilities that his brother does. They're not the same people. These are not some you know, mystical beings that we can ascribe magical powers to where they can just click their fingers and create a human being. No, uh, we have very detailed information about how humans were created. And it's not some snap of the fingers process. It was, we were brought forth through surrogacy. They carried us. They gave birth to us because we are very much like them. And so Yahweh makes a real point of telling Jesus, you are not to tell the humans what is coming. And reluctantly, he agrees. But then he goes, and in this story that we have quite a lot of detail in, he goes to Noah. And in this story, Noah is named Zeasudra. And he has a friend, a mutual friend. He, he knows Noah very well. He's very, very close with Noah. And um, he says, go and ask Noah to go and just lean up against the wall here. And he goes and leans up on the other side of the wall. And they can hear each other if they were to talk. And Yeshua then starts to 
tell this story. If only I could somehow get a message to Noah and warn him of the natural catastrophe that is about to come upon the earth. I would tell him to build a vessel and I would tell him to build a vessel like this. And he details how to build a vessel to save themselves. And we find this story across other mythologies, cultures around the world. And to me, that tells me that it wasn't just Noah that Yeshua, Jesus, went to, but he went to other people as well. Remember, near the end of his ministry, Yeshua said, I have other groups of people that I now need to go to. Huh. Not just the Jews, but all of the groups of people around the world. And so this flood story is very common. It's probably one of the most common stories across different mythologies and cultures around the world. Well, <clears throat> their planet as I said, seems to come through every 3,600 years. And if we were to look at the date of the Exodus, that is when the Hebrews were extricated from Egypt, it appears to be something around 35, 3,550 years ago. I suspect that this was the time when Yahweh attempted to overthrow his father. And this is, we can see echoes of this in Greek and Roman mythology. Now, it's interesting Greek and Roman mythology because it's very fresh. It's very new. And in Greek and Roman mythology, we find that one of the sons overthrows his father. Interesting. So we find that Zeus overthrows Kronos in Greek mythology. And then in in Roman mythology, we find that uh, Jupiter overthrows Saturn. And we find that these stories, I mean, all, all people that study mythologies, this is usually one of the very first things they learn about, the, the comparative nature of uh, Greek and Roman mythology. They're almost identical. That's because they are identical. I mean, they're all coming from the same source. And so we, is this... 3,500-odd years ago, is this when Yahweh, who is Zeus and is Jupiter, is that when he tried to overthrow him, to overthrow the kingdom? And was it then that he was exiled, cast down to earth? And that he said, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to take your people out of Egypt, and I'm going to make them my own, and I will do with them what I will. Hmm. I think that the Hebrews were one of Yeshua's final creations. I think they were very, very special people to Yeshua, and they have been used and abused and the world has turned against them to a large degree, against the Jews, which is a shame. And yes, if we look at the upper echelons of society, we certainly do find a large proportion of Jews in elite positions of power. 
But this is not the common Jew, of course. And so we must remember the words of Yeshua in this regard, that we do not fight against humans, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Right? Heaven being their planet. Now, if the Exodus occurred about 3,500 to 3,550 years ago, somewhere around there, that would mean that their planet is imminently about to arrive and transit through our sun, wouldn't it? Interesting. Is that why the number of UFO incidents is rapidly escalating at an almost exponential rate? That's what we would expect. We would expect that some of them are already here. Of course, some of them have always been here. Yeshua said that, didn't he? He said, there are some, some standing here today that will still be alive when I return. Yeah, not humans, though. And then we also read in the text where it says, be careful when you entertain strangers because you might be entertaining angels. They are all angels. Angels is just another name for the royal family and for their kind. You might be ent entertaining an angel without realizing it. Oh, they've always been here. There's always been some of them here. But there is a, a process, there is a thing that has to go on. And so there was this rescue mission that occurred about 2,000 years ago when Yahweh absolutely would not have expected it because his planet was on its way back out uh, of or, or 2,000 years ago. Well, I mean, it, it, yeah, 2,000 years ago, it was, was on its way out, away from the earth, a long way from the earth. And... Um, and you would not expect that any of them would, would be coming and arriving here because they come in large numbers when, of course, their planet is local. And so Jesus breaks into our time, into our world, born through a woman in very similar ways through surrogacy to the way that we were described, we were told in these ancient texts that humans were created originally. So Yeshua, somehow, we, I mean, Christians even call it the incarnation. Well, we know that he existed before that, so there's no reason we actually can't say the reincarnation. How did he move from one body to another? Well, we don't know. That's a mystery. But it does appear that that is what occurred. And so Yeshua is born, 2,000 odd years ago, and he comes as a Jew. Why did he come as a Jew? Because it appears that there is, uh, well, we know that there is a contract that is presented in Revelation. Revelation chapter 5, go and, and take a look at that, and you'll see that there is this scroll with seven seals. That is the contract for humanity, and that's not something I'm making up. I think I'm the only person that's ever talked about it in that manner, but if you just look at what it is and the fact that fulfilling this scroll, whatever is written on the scroll, uh, there's, there's only one person who could open it, execute it. That is Jesus, the one that was slain. Um, a, you're a pure, innocent man, um, completely innocent under the law. He was able to execute this contract. And what happened because of that? All humanity was set free. 
and humanity was restored. The ownership of humanity was restored back to the Father and the Son. Interesting. All right? And so he has to come as a Jew because he has to fulfill Yahweh's law to fulfill that contract, to set us all free. But Yahweh is obviously, although we don't have a lot of information on this, a little bit of speculation, but Yahweh, you can imagine, he's not very happy about that. How dare you? You tricked me. You came as a human. You can't do that, but I did. As a real human being. And I lived 31 years, and I did not break the law. And I was then murdered by your empire. Yahweh is Jupiter. A kingdom can divided cannot stand, right? A kingdom divided against itself. It seems that Rome is persecuting the Jews, but Jupiter, who is the head of the Roman Empire, is Yahweh. So what's going on there? A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. So Yeshua comes and fulfills the law and is executed. And then, of course, is brought back to life, which is for them not that big of a deal. Um, And now we're about to see this contract presented before the Elohim, the same Council, the same divine council that created us. And by the way, that word divine council, you can find it actually used in the Bible in Psalm 82. Um, Read that, look at the English Standard Version translation, and you'll see that they actually use the term divine council. This is the Elohim. Elohim is not a person, right? Elohim can describe the Father if it's used in a singular fashion, but it's translated, uh, I mean, the default translation of Elohim is plural because it, defa- it, it, it refers to the divine council. And so the contract is presented, but Yahweh is not interested in setting us free. And so what must happen? A war must ensue. Yeshua and his father and their kingdom are returning to earth to go to war against their own kind and those of us humans that have sworn allegiance to Yahweh and there's a lot of them you can see them meeting right now in Davos some of them very informed on what's going on and some of them having no clue whatsoever and Yeshua and his father and the kingdom are going to break into our world and take it over an alien invasion is about to take place here on our planet. And the Christians have been set up by Yahweh in Christianity. Who created Christianity, modern Christianity, not the Christianity of the early church, which is markedly different from anything that Christians believe today. They've invented all kinds of things today. Trinity, and I mean, the list goes on. Um, And when we look at this Roman universalism, this Roman Christianity... Well, you look at what so many of these Roman Christians think today. They are saying that a demonic, fake alien invasion is about to occur. Let me tell you what is going to happen. Yahweh is going to show up. Israel is going to build the third temple. 
the temple that is supposed to be an empty temple dedicated to the Father, both Yahweh and Yeshua's Father. But Yahweh is going to occupy the temple. Yahweh is going to come and stand in the most holy place, the temple, the abomination of desolation, the ugly one that causes destruction is going to stand in the most holy place, Yahweh. And are you going to fall for that? What's going to happen here is, is that theologians are going to go, well, obviously we, we've been interpreting the Bible wrong because Yahweh, God himself, the Father, is now here standing in the Jewish temple in Israel, which undoubtedly is going to be built on top of the Temple Mount. Huh. And you're going to find Islam, because Yahweh is Allah. You're going to find Islam and Judaism and Christianity and Hinduism, because Yahweh is also Shiva in Hinduism, all united together. A one world religion, the, the, the four largest religions in the world are going to come together and form one new religion, worshipping one God, Yahweh, who resides physically in the Jewish temple in Israel. And I think this might be about to happen imminently, like in the next few years. When Israel builds that temple, that's not the start. But when they resume animal sacrifices in the temple, and it might be the same day they open the temple, it might be years after, we don't know. But when they resume animal sacrifices in that temple, the clock starts ticking. This seven-year tribulation period that is talked about in the text begins like clockwork to the day. And so we know at that point that this is it, that our Lord is about to return and break into our world and overthrow Yahweh and overthrow all of the powers of this world and restore peace to this world for a long time. And there's much more we could go into, but that's in the future and we will know what's going to happen after that crystal clear because Yeshua himself will be here and will tell us. Are we living in those days right now? I don't know for sure, but it feels that way. And there's a lot of things that are occurring that don't seem to be able to occur except that this was that time. And I know I've got a lot of friends that are like, well, we have to stand up and we have to make this world and it's all up to us and no one's coming to rescue us. Well, I don't think there's really much wrong with thinking that way. Certainly we need to stand up for ourselves. But actually there is someone coming to rescue us. And his name is Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus, our Messiah. 
And we can read about him all through history and have a great deal of understanding on what's really going on here. A big picture perspective. So hopefully this has been informative for you. Maybe there's some things here you haven't heard before. I hope that's the case. And not this coming Sunday, but next Sunday, we should start doing these weekly live um, gospel presentations where I will talk about this and we will pray with people. And all I want you to do is, is I want you to do two things. I want you to put your faith and your hope and your trust in Yeshua, Jesus. But I, I want you to do something you know, study-wise as well. I want you to get a Bible, and I want you to, starting in the Gospel of John, I want you to go through with the five questions in mind. These are really important. And, you know, don't go to a Christian church. Now, fellowship is great, and hopefully you've got a good network of friends, and, you know, you should share this recording with them. You can tell them, you know, download Telegram, listen to this. Uh, but... I want you to read through the Gospel of John with these five questions in mind, and you will learn more about Jesus in a week of doing this than you will going to church for your entire stinking life. And I mean that quite literally. As someone who's been a pastor, been a church planter, has mentored and taught many people the Bible, if you do this, you will learn more than spending a whole lifetime listening to sermons in church. Here's the five questions. Number one, what did Yeshua, Jesus, say about himself? What did he say about his father? What did he say he came to do? Where did he say he came from? And what did he say will soon take place? If you go through just the Gospel of John, and then you can go through the others. Sometimes people are like, well, why, why just the Gospel of John? Oh, no, not just. But if you're going to do just one, because a lot of people won't do more than one, then at least just start there because that's very rich uh, with information, the Gospel of John. But then if you finish the Gospel of John and you want more, then go through the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I don't care what order you go through, but start with John and then go through the others. What did Jesus say about himself, his father, what he came to do, where he came from, and what will soon take place? And you're going to learn some incredibly interesting things that you've never known about Jesus before. And if you've been a Christian all your life, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about when you do this and you realize, wow, it's like I'm reading the Bible for the very first time. A lot of people, that's their testimony. Now, my testimony is I love him. I love our Lord. I know whether it's now or in the future, I know that he is going to come and rescue us away from Yahweh's world. Yahweh is the God of this world. And I think it is now, but I don't know it is now, and so I don't want to say, I don't want to speak out of turn. But one thing I do know, I love him, and he loves me, and he loves you too. And if you put your faith and your hope and your trust in him, your life will transform. Let's learn to get on with each other. One of the best ways we can do that is to listen to what he taught us. That was really, you know, if you look at everything that he was saying, it, in a nutshell, he was basically saying, hey, 
get on with each other until I get back, okay? And here's how you should get on with each other. And the most important thing he said was, love one another as I have loved you. And boy, I need help with that one, right? It's a simple thing to say. It's a harder thing to do. But we should try. Have a wonderful night, and I appreciate you for listening. And please, click share and share this in other groups and with a friend that you think might be interested in hearing this. You can uh, click on this and get the uh, link. You'll see an option, copy link, and send it out to people. Because I truly believe that this is the gospel of the kingdom the gospel of the kingdom that seems to have been lost for almost 2,000 years. Thank you for listening. God bless you.